Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website, whyagain.org. If you go to that website and look for the two words in the upper left-hand corner that say Start Here, click on that. It's a link that will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app It contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily because... It tends to lead to comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we encourage you to do so by calling 563-999. It's 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, it will put a little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I will see that and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
and that will allow us to engage in the conversation. And it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when people do that. So we greatly appreciate when people give us a call, let us know how this work is landing with them, let us know what might be of most value for them in spending the next hour or two. And um, if you choose to do that, I will promptly turn on the microphone and take your comments or questions. Um, We've made the commitment this year to do um, more worksheets, uh, if at all possible, to do one per show. And um, that's, uh, we're close to that. And the, the worksheet is the, the primary tool in this work that we were just referring to. And the more people get exposed to the tool, how it can be used in various situations, uh, the level of um, shifting of energies and insights that can happen, even when insights don't happen, energy shifts. And our, our experience has been that the more people have active exposure to the worksheet process and the results, the more likely they are to engage it for themselves. And so in an effort to spread the use of these tools and make it easier for people uh, this year instead of making a commitment to spend most of the shows discussing things or reading the books we're making a commitment to shift the focus and at least have a focus on if not a primary dedication to the reality management worksheet process and um, that's not to the exclusion of discussions, so please, if you have a comment or question or if you have a question about how to do the worksheets or you've done one yourself and you'd like to discuss the results you got, please feel free to call us and raise a hand by pressing 1. Area code 610, is this Susan? Hello, Dr. Tim. It is. Uh, I got to listen to your show from... Yesterday, I had missed the first, I heard the last part of your worksheet, and then the fellow called in. But I wanted to ask you a question about that wake-up sheet. You talked about being a four-year-old, how one memory from when you were four popped up, and one memory when you were a teen or college and you came home and said, something about learning about hypnosis and your father backed off as if you had a demon. It sounded very intense, his response. And I was remembering the time before during a worksheet where you talked about showing up very upset about some situation at college and you wanted your dad's input and he was unavailable and he was cutting roses in the backyard. You have said that you had a very good childhood, very loving parents, and I'm more and more impressed with how, what an amazing father you must have had because you said he had a diagnosis of bipolar, which means he was managing it. He was bright and aware of it, and yet there were times when it was just too much for him and he was not available. And it sounds as if despite 
how you describe your childhood as, you know, loving, which it sounds as if it was, you had some serious traumas built in there. And they were kind of, it sounded as if they were isolated events that otherwise dad was okay and with you and loving, affectionate, um, filling in the blanks. But, and I'm not sure exactly what my question is, but I'm looking at my own work with my mother and the assignment you gave me to have a dialogue with her, have her write me a letter or talk to me, and she's been talking a lot. And I realized I had, like you, I had two really loving, caring, conscientious parents who had, especially with my mother, she had these blips. And she was not only unavailable, but overwhelmed and so violent. And my question is, In the case of the dialogues I've had with my mother or her talking to me, I've ended up, there's no question about my feeling of empathy for her, understanding her, accepting her, forgiving her in the letting off the hook variety. But there's something still missing, and that is, I still can't imagine being physically close to her and accepting any kind of physical touch from her. That seems to be just stuck in there like this piece of scar tissue. And I wondered, it's none of my business, and I'm not doing therapy on you, but you did that worksheet, and I wondered if that is an experience you understand from your experience with your dad? Well, and can I even ask that question? Here's, here's, here's one of the big, big differences, right? This, this experience with my father that got mentioned in two or three of these worksheets, <clears throat> the, uh, the experience at four years old was um, probably just a once or twice deal where this very warm, loving, attentive father was shocked by something his four-year-old or three-year-old said and recoiled, and maybe not even recoiled physically, but just energetically. You know, a kid knows when you're, when you're that close to him and, you know, you have wonderful physical affection and you're crawling all over your dad and, so the energy exchange is there for young kids. And and so if he even just stiffened up when I would say something, mm-hmm. it was probably enough to throw me off from the, you know, the disruption. Yeah. And the only other thing that's come up that's been talked about in these worksheets is when I came home from college, the man who had been there so steadfastly through my entire life had never had a manic episode and the depressive episodes that apparently he went through, they hid from us, so I never knew he had depression. And So he was in the middle of a manic episode. Mm. And, you know, full-blown, not sleeping, not eating much, 
um, talking mm. a mile a minute, projects going all over the place that are uncompleted, um, not able to uh, engage in an empathetic conversation with people, just like, you know, his mind was spinning. And yeah. by that point in time, I had been, you know, raised to completion pretty much. I was 21 and a half years old when I came home and yeah. and that was happening. So the impact mm. on me was very different than it was on my sisters who were, you know, one and a half and three years younger than me. And they were right. still teenagers. They were still dependent upon parents for sustenance and shelter and education and stuff like that. And um, so, you know, you, you you talk about the traumas in my life, and the traumas in my life prior to this were very, very mild, and I always had both parents there to support me through them, firmly mm. and lovingly. So that's mm. one of the big differences. And, and you know, I did, there was a, a I used to tell a story, one, um, the one time, is only one time in my entire life that either of my parents struck me with anger. And you might say, well, how could that be? Well, because this is this was their parenting style. And this was during the time of, you know, corporal punishment was the way of the day and there were spankings to be had, et cetera. But if our parent, either one, mom or dad, decided we needed a spanking, they would tell us, now you stop that and you go in your room and you think about what's happened, and basically what we learned later in life was this, us having time to think about what was happening was so our parents could calm down so they weren't spanking us in anger. Uh. And they would come in, and we would have a conversation. Now, do you know why you're going to get your swats, and do you know it? And then you'd have to take the swats on the bottom, not on the legs, not on the back, not on the face. Not, it was controlled. So the one mm-hmm. time in my life, that my father hit me in anger, I was so old he had to reach up to hit my face. Oh my God. I was like I was like two year two inches taller than he was. Mm-hmm. And it was a complete misunderstanding. And it was something that, you know, my wounded younger sister was misperceiving about something I said and it clashed with my father's you know, very um, chivalrous perspective about men and women and some word that you should never call a woman, which I didn't use to my sister, but she thought I had and this and that. So that's the only time, one time in my entire life did either parent strike me out of anger that I have any awareness of. And so I, I can't you know, join you in saying, oh, yeah, I have a really hard time thinking about this because, you know, I I can't even imagine being touched lovingly by this person because it was almost exclusively loving touch that was Mm. welcome from either of my parents any time. And it was uh, a sustenance, a nurturance, a support. Mm. So while I can't, you know, um, have that experience, I can certainly have empathy for the idea that you didn't have what I had, and I value what I have so much, I can't imagine 
trying to go through life without that. I mean, I would be such a different person in every aspect of my life, my sensuality, my sexuality, every aspect of my life would be different if I hadn't had that level of loving, physical comfort and support that was never sexualized by either parent. And, and as I just finished talking about, never blended with anger. <laughs> Does that make sense? It does. So, you know, I that when you hear stories like that, it makes sense that when I say I had pretty much an idyllic childhood, that that makes more sense. I was given support and resources and you know, discussion about things, and I was raised in a family where, you know, there were some decisions that the parents just made, but there were frequent, let's have a family meeting and talk about it, and the kids get to voice their opinions, and, Mm. you know, where would we like to go for a vacation next year, et cetera, you know, these were family (laughs) discussions, and uh, Mm. I was, you know, I was in the family meeting uh, for those from my grade school years on. Oh. So that's all part of why I say my, you know, how how fortunate I was in the way I was raised. I have a question, and it's probably inappropriate, but why the heck did you become a therapist if you were so happy? <laughs> well, because uh, some therapists don't don't go into therapy because they're miserable. It's just like not all comedians have had tortured lives. I had my, you know, one of my a, father's a revelation. <laughs> one of my father's uh, best friends that I was introduced to in my preteens was um, a, a, a genius intellect psychologist, mm-hmm. and. Um, I looked up to him. He was a wonderful guy, uh, fun, intelligent, loving like my dad. And um, there was a time when he said to me, when I was probably 12 or 13 years old, he said, you know, you would make a, a wonderful therapist. You'd make a great psychologist. Wow, and what led him to say that? Just the way I engaged people. He watched me with mm-hmm. his younger children he watched me with my siblings he watched me have the conversations with the adults in the you know in the evenings when our families would be together for uh, vacations and things and beyond that you'd have to ask him but that his response was he says just the way you listen to just the way you relate to people Wonderful. just the way people open up and talk to you so i had that did in that the back of my mind you? yeah sure eventually eventually it did sure mm-hmm. Wow, that's very cool. And then the other no, side of the story is that, that 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 I, I grew up wanting to be an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and I took all advanced math and science classes in in high school until my senior year when I got my first F in a in a regular class that wasn't like art or religion. I got my first F ever, and it was in trigonometry or 
you know, pre-calculus or whatever, and it just floored me because no matter how much I studied, I couldn't grasp the concepts, and that was the mm. end of my 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 dream to be a mechanical engineer because if you struggle with math, you can't be a mechanical engineer. And then I went on to college and just floated not knowing what I wanted to do until my senior year when they called me into the registrar's office and said, you need to declare a minor. And I said, minor? I haven't even decided on my major yet. And they said, oh, no, that's decided. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you've already taken every psych class we have, so now we just make sure that (laughs) you take, you know, three classes that are all in the same field, and that's going to be your minor. Mm. So, you know, by, you know, one way of looking at it, my ending up in the field was by default. Yeah. Because my dream to be a mechanical engineer was dashed. And my best friend in high school was going to be an architect and I was going to be a mechanical engineer and we were going to go on Save the World together, all that good stuff. And it all came crumbling down. The best laid plans of mice and men oft go astray. (laughs) True. That's a great story. It found you. Well, and, you know, and, and it, I hope it helps you highlight what we do in our fantasies about people and how the fantasy we have about people is never really the truth of who they are. Mm-hmm. And we can't ever truly know everything about a person. So, you know, stay open, ask watch the assumptions and um you know be prepared for them to be really wrong mm-hmm. i did um a couple more worksheets on that stuff that i was doing the worksheets on yesterday and um before the show today and the uh, I, you know the, the the commitment in the show is to try and and at least talk about if not do one or worksheet uh, per show and I ended up doing two and one of them was on that professor who had accused me of um, being a spy do you remember that part of the worksheet no I must okay. have missed that oh. so, so maybe it didn't make it into the show but since since that worksheet yesterday I had a flash on a series of people in my life where I was looking up to them and, you know, pouring my heart and soul into their work and supporting them, and it just fell flat. And so one of them was my psych professor my junior year when I went back to college, ready to to quit college, and he and his wife were the reason I stayed because they were new to the college and they needed to build a psych lab, and I said, oh, I can help you with that. And I poured heart and soul and blood, sweat, and tears into helping them get their psych lab up and running. And my reward, in large part, was that I started to get an education, a decent education, in psychology. Whereas before that, the the and that was in the animal behavior and behavior modification and running pigeons through tapping sequences and so. Before that, I was not getting a, a decent education, and I was preparing to drop out of school. So by the time wow. I was the end of that, the middle of that 
junior year, he'd given me keys to the lab. I was the only student who had keys to the lab. And I was you know, working there on the weekends and on the evenings. And whenever I wasn't doing something else as a, as a probation officer in the county, and I, I was basically just heading towards a nervous breakdown, overworking myself. And any time he asked me for something, I would do it, unless I was already busy as a probation officer or in one of my other classes. And in the middle of my senior year, he calls me into the lab, and he says, um, basically he accuses me of being a spy for the humanistic psychology department. And I was dumbfounded. I was standing there in my, you know, six-foot-four glory, young, strong, strapping young man, sobbing, crying in front of him and his wife because I couldn't understand this. Good grief. And, and, and so in this worksheet, I, I put that, you know, his, his name was Dr. Pallia, P-A-L-Y-A and that he accused me of spying, and my emotion was confusion and hurt. And now as I was doing the worksheet earlier this morning, it was a level of 6 out of 10. And my thought was, wow. he doesn't trust or value me. And the punishment thought was, for him, I just wanted to shut down and, and, and run away and not do any more work for him. I didn't do that, but that's the punishment thought I had that came to mind. And then I go through the worksheet, and I cancel that thought and goal, and I breathe and I soften and um, do the forgiveness pattern, which has me repeating gently over and over again. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything else to change, etc. And what I got was more tears coming and sadness, and I had the realization for the first time since this is college, this is close to 50 years ago, I had the realization that in that moment, I downloaded the belief that I'm too stupid to understand life and be a success. Whoa. Right? Because I really thought I was on their team and any time they asked me for anything, I was there, unless I also had to be on duty as a probation officer in, in the county seat or I had to be present for another class. And so um, that was a new insight that I had had that download. And I really, and it's affected my life all throughout my life at different times rather than, you know, charging out and starting my own large corporation or, you know, therapy group or whatever. I've kept things small and balanced. You know, I, one part of my mind has been saying, well, this is just, you know, this is right for you because you're just not that smart and this is all you can handle. And I got the insight that some of that comes from this interaction when I was wow. 21 years old. So I breathed and softened and did the cancellation of any time I'd wanted anybody else to value me and understand my contributions. And my upset level was down to about a four. And the uh, thing I had made a commitment to do, the loving goal, was to another worksheet on that conclusion that I'm too stupid to understand life. So the second worksheet I did this morning was on that. And, again, this is the same dynamic that that professor and his wife were 
accusing me of being a spy. And I still to this day don't really understand what that means. But the dynamic that I put in here was that my emotion is sadness and my object of attention was Dr. Pallia and that I couldn't satisfy him. And the thought is the same thought. I'm too stupid to understand the complexities of life. Now, that's the thought that developed in the release in the last worksheet. It's not the thought I started with. Mm. Is that clear? Yeah. Okay, so that was that, that download is, oh, I, was, I remember standing there thinking, I don't get this. I must be really stupid. Oh, boy. And the punishment thought was that I want to beat myself up emotionally, that I do that on a regular basis. You're too stupid, you know, what's wrong with you, et cetera. So I went mm. through the worksheet and canceled the goal and, well, I'm, I shouldn't say I canceled the goal. I should say the goal was for me to be able to feel confident in my ability to thrive and succeed in life. So that was the goal. And when I went to cancel that goal, and asked to be shown the hidden part of my mind and did the forgiveness patter. I breathed and softened, and I I spun for quite a while. It was probably about a four or five minute breathing. You know, basically the mantra: I cancel my need to be right, and I asked to be shown the hidden part of my mind. And I re- I would see the image of myself as that senior in college, crying in front of this professor and his wife. And um, the, 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 the best way I could put the shift that happened was in the phrase, I've been trying to comprehend the world with a nine-bit mind that's been disconnected from my intuition. Mm. So I breathed and softened, and it just felt, I felt more calm. I certainly wasn't, you know, any tremendous insight or great relief, but the goal, the loving goal I set for myself at the end of that worksheet was to do an EFT tapping session on the emotional hurt and the belief that I'm too stupid to understand life. Because that's still, that I, I really don't get it and my intellect isn't smart enough to comprehend this, is still there, right? I still feel that at about a level of 3 out of 10. So the upset level at the end was 3 out of 10, which was, you know, down from a five on that worksheet. And I'm, I have an EFT tapping session in my future on this emotion of hurt and the belief that I'm just too stupid to understand life. So, Dr. Tim, back up a little bit. How did you, what did you say to yourself during the tapping when you were? I just, just the, the, uh, I didn't do the tapping session yet, but in the emotional release when I was doing this worksheet, I just repeated the forgiveness pattern, which is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website on the educational materials Mm -hmm. page. And it says things Mm -hmm. like, it's not limited to, but it says things like, I cancel my need to be right. I cancel Mm -hmm. my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. And I specifically cancel my goal in this worksheet and I asked to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf. I'm not going to try and figure this out. I'm just going to sit here and gently come back to the image of myself standing there crying 
in front of the professor and his wife and feel myself in the chair here as an adult with my hand over my heart space and gently repeat that mantra until I feel like, oh, here's a deep insight or my energy shifts and I don't have an insight or I realize that my mind is just going to keep spinning and go nowhere where I'm basically going unconscious. (laughs) And when one of those three things happened, then I take a breath and scan my body and notice, okay, I'm feeling calmer. And the best way I could put the kind of a shift that was happening was, oh, I really, I'm trying to comprehend something that goes beyond comprehension. And Mm -hmm. I'm doing it having been disconnected from my intuition. What would your intuition say, though? I have no idea, but but I but I know that from my other work that I have in these in the in the constellation of work I've done around these kinds of themes from, you know, 3 and 4 and 5 years old when I would voice some insight or I got this, I talked to your dad, you know, I talked to my grandpa and he said this and whatever that insight intuition reading people's energies that I could do when I was younger it wouldn't go over well with my dad, and I made the decision to choose him over staying connected to that stuff. Yeah, I get it, yeah. <clears throat> so amazing, because being called a spy sounds so out of, out of range of anything anybody would understand, and yet you required yourself to understand it Whereas somebody else might have said, oh, my God, the guy's got a screw loose. Right, but, but, I, but I, wasn't, I wasn't in a position to view him as having a screw loose. I was in the position of here is my psychology god, my rescuer, the guy who's made my right. college education valuable. And, you know, I, I was looking up to him about as much as you could look up to anybody at that time. right. I get it. What a terrible position. <clears throat> anyway, wow. Whew. Well, so, do you have another <laughs> comment or question? Somebody uh, put up a hand. Do you want to uh, let yeah, them join the conversation and see? Area sure. code 336, you're in the air. Who do we have and what's your comment or question? Area code 336. Hopefully your microphone is on. All right. We'll assume that... Can you hear me? Hold on a minute. He started to talk just as I turned off the microphone. Who is this, please? Area code 336. Hello. 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 Can you hear me? Who do we have? Yes. Ah. Dr. Tim, how are you, buddy? I'm fine. Who is this? <laughs> this is Terry Bolin. We haven't spoken in quite a while from out at heart. No, no, no. It's not quite a while. It's many, many years. It's been quite Terry, a while. <laughs> welcome. Terry, yeah. How can hey, we how support you, you today? Well, uh, I've, uh, I stay, you know, in contact with, with Dr. Rice. And uh, we've uh, come together to 
and you probably know about this. I know you're pretty up on this. Uh, the uh, uh, work week, there's going to be some activity out at Heartland this year. Did you hear about that yet? I did. I, I got the email on that. Okay, great. So I'll be out there bringing some folks, and we're going to be doing the work week a couple of weeks prior to, you know, the stuff that's going on to open the buildings up and get things back in shape and all that kind of good stuff. Is that why you're calling, just to raise the flag no, on that? No, not really. Well, that was the sidebar. Um, I was, re, you know, kind of re-engaging with the radio show, and I thought, well, let me just see what uh, Dr. Kim's up to. And while you have been busy, and I just heard you mention the My Shippers Academy, and I was taking a look at that and uh, hearing uh, your dialogue with the previous fellow, and uh, appreciated uh, uh, a little bit deeper insight. We we haven't actually hung out that much ourselves, you and I. And hearing your, some of your background there that I didn't know before gives me an even deeper appreciation for you. And I wanted to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, for people who may not know, um, Give us a brief overview of your connection with Michael and the work. How far back does that go? It goes back 20, 20 years, 22, somewhere around there, 20-year mark. Yeah, I had uh, uh, I was invited to buy my uh, second wife as an ex-wife. Now, Michelle, I think you met Michelle and the kids. And uh, she said, let's go to the Unity Church in Sarasota. There's a guy doing this presentation. Yeah. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm a pretty open-minded fellow, I like to think, and I love anything to do with consciousness and, and bettering yourself. And we went and heard his lecture, his opening lecture, you know. And then he offered a breathwork uh, workshop. And so we signed up for that the next day. I think the lecture was on a Friday night or something, and then the, the workshop was an all-day Saturday thing. And so I jumped right in with him, and I had a, I had an experience in that uh, workshop that uh, absolutely uh, was a direct uh, – how, how should I phrase this? Uh, it was an undeniable uh, uh, event that said, okay, this is this guy's got stuff that's going to be good for you. And that's uh, when I jumped in there and uh, been uh, uh, connected with him ever since, yeah. And, and you're uh, – one of the reasons that you're involved in this at the Heartland level is, is your main profession is – well, I'm, I'm I'm a contractor, and I do that type of work and stuff. But that's kind of secondary. That's my my living job. <laughs> but right, that's, that's reason, how you're going to. I think yeah. You, that's how you're going to bring you know quite a bit of value to the food fund and forgiveness program where they're going to yeah. try and get Heartland ready. It's not like uh, you know you're an accountant. You really 
no, lots of experience no. yeah. working with your hands and the kinds of projects that are going to need to be done. And yeah, one of my grandfathers was a blacksmith and a builder at the turn of the century, and he had eleven kids. And uh, I had a, a, a very powerful experience with him as a young boy that uh, moved me in the direction of doing construction and building stuff. I tried to shake it off a few times, but it's like his genetics and also that that time that he took with his grandson uh, made a, an impression that was never forgotten. So I've been, and I'm 65 now, and I've been in it, you know, since I was a teenager. And then I uh, spent two years out there with uh, David Hayes. Man, I miss that fellow so much. And we had uh, such a, 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 an amazing period of time and event. We were out there kind of um, watching over things while Michael was traveling and helping people to come in and process. And we did a lot of work over that two years on the Heartland. It was an old fish camp that Michael had bought on the Bull Shoals Lake and a lot of work. And uh, uh, it's been fun helping him to uh, keep that thing going. And, you know, I, I pulled him aside one day and said, Michael, when are you going to sell that place? And he said, never. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I knew it was, you know, it was really deep. I was kind of just testing a little bit to see his level of commitment to keeping that uh, property going and the energy that's been put into it is over the top. And uh, his work uh, was instrumental and uh, coincided with uh a lot of stuff that uh, I've been working on as a, a lifelong thing, and uh, uh, it, it's just meshed with with everything that I've gotten involved in. And what really turned me was at the age of uh, 28 and a half, I was pretty much dying in a rehab center from alcohol and uh, drug addiction. And uh, had an experience there, and have been, uh, you know, clean and sober since then. And, uh, and the 12 steps allowed me to get in there and clean out a lot of uh, garbage that I was carrying around. And then Michael's work has only uh, accented that and improved it, and helped me to be able to share with lots and lots of people that I sponsor in the 12 step programs over the years to to take their uh, healing to a next level or not even maybe a next level but a different level to give them another tool in their toolkit to help them live a better life and to live a good life I don't want to take too much I'll talk forever if you don't watch out well I'm you're you're right on track and I'm I was just <laughs> thinking of saying that you know I've had the blessing of working with a variety of people over the years who are in 12-step programs and when they tap into this work, they too get excited about how compatible they are and how uh, dynamic it can be to blend the work of um, the reality management worksheets and the EFT tapping and the breath work and the the very solid tools that are available in a 12-step program. And um, I think there's a wonderful synergy that goes on there and I've been told that by a number of people that I work with who are very active, very, uh, you know, oriented towards understanding and teaching the 12 steps and the big book. And mm-hmm. 
As a matter of fact, if memory serves correctly, you were one of the people who chimed in for a while on uh, what Michael was calling Recovery Wednesdays back in the earlier days of the Internet show. Sometime yeah, maybe 2013. My stuff, tri- <laughs> my, stuff, my stuff got triggered on one of those shows. It took me a while to to untangle all that that was brought up within me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was uh, it was really interesting. It was powerful for sure. I I do know what you mean. I I was just doing a worksheet <laughs> earlier today on deep stuff getting triggered. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and delightful you know, to hear I also you. Put, I, I put together a tenth step worksheet. Where I uh, the tenth step is uh, you know you contended to take personal inventory on a daily basis and and I formatted that that I intertwined the the uh, uh, recovery steps with the uh, with the worksheet steps you know to give a little different uh, twist that's my dog he heard some bump in the night but. Um, there's that worksheet is kind of cool. I might send you a copy just so you can look at it if you're interested. I'll be happy to look at it, sure. Yeah, and I don't want to take up any more time on the show. It's really good. We'll talk more, I'm sure, but you're doing a great job, and I appreciate you, Tim. All right. Thank you, Terry. Great to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Many many you blessings. Bye-bye. You too. Code eight Hi, Magda. Yeah, nice to hear Carrie's voice. Hi, Carrie. Um, and mainly, I'm calling just to say how grateful I am that you did that you reported the worksheet today. That you did what a sharing. Holy cow! Uh, it just shows how powerful the tool is to help us to become aware of some old junk that we, you know, stuffed down. And, and the work she did yesterday, too, is just amazing. So, gracias. That, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. It's quite a benefit to hear that. All right. Thank you. I'm glad you're finding it useful. That's, uh, as we say, the intention is to be of service. And uh, it makes it uh, far easier when we get input like that. So, thank you. And I'm I'm glad to report that on all four or five that I've done just in the last two days, the uh, app is working smoothly again and letting me save them and then send them to myself. So if anybody was having that difficulty on the Apple platform, apparently it's been resolved. Cool. Yeah, I don't save them. I I write my my responses into a notebook, so I've never run up against that. But for people who have and want to do that, that's great. Okay, well, I will get off the line and listen, and um, thank you again. All right, you're welcome. Blessings. <laughs> so, Susan, comments, questions? Had you been familiar with Harry Bowling before? I know the name. I, I don't remember if he was at Heartland when Tim and I were <clears throat> there. I don't believe so. Before. Yeah. So, but it's a name I know. It's great that he can go out there and help with that per- big project. Well, if you yeah. were at Heartland, they would have talked about him because he's responsible for 
major projects like the floor and the heart center and things like that 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 Uh have his artistic and constructive touch to them. Mm. He has has been quite the legacy contributor to the Heartland experience, so... Mm. So, any thoughts for you about anything we've done in the past few days or clarifying questions about the last four or five worksheets? Well, I'm, they're very engaging to listen to, that's for sure. They're great instruction. <clears throat> As I listened back to the show from yesterday, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that um, the show, the earlier part of the show before the worksheets was going to hold together for people talking about boundaries and personal relationships and dual relationships. And did that all hold together? You know, I don't remember that. What, What I remember is the work you did, the worksheet you did, with the four-year-old and the teenager showing up. And then I had gotten onto the show in time to hear the the live other part where you had a caller. <clears throat> and it, the the show conversation was very dusty. Different. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I don't remember what, I don't, I, I vaguely remember, but what was it about it that you didn't think <laughs> okay. worked? Well, that, that <laughs> clearly, work. clearly, it, it, it didn't, it didn't hold together real well because it didn't land and make an impact. And that's the kind of what I, what I felt as I was listening back to it was, yeah, probably not a, because I didn't use a, a, a real solid example because, yeah, you know, there were solid there examples were, uh, are always great, but I thought it was at one point I thought something you and I worked on together popped into that somehow, or I felt as if, oh, that might have come from, that might be a thought from Well, it, it happened. what happened was that uh, there was a, a, a session that I was having with somebody, and there was a, you know, the, the, the individual I was working with was an older person and talking about trying to support a younger person in, in uh, healing, growth, learning, et cetera, but having um, – mm-hmm. A sexual attraction, and then uh, mm-hmm. it 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 sparked the the memory I had of being in graduate school and having uh, a lunch with um, four other women, and them talking about this older professor, probably in his sixties, married, who was teaching uh, ethics and morals at the graduate school level. A required, mm-hmm. a required class on ethics and morals as a therapist. These are the boundaries you have to keep. You cannot have sex with your patients and things like that. That might sound silly, but that was at a time where they were making a change because there was a lot of crossed boundaries and dual relationships and psychiatrists telling their female patients, I can cure your depression with having good sex with you and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I see. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, it was required to take this course, and I'm having lunch with these women, and they're having a roundtable discussion about all of the people that they know, young women, that this guy's had sex with. 
Yeah. As a professor at the at the graduate school, having sex with the students, mm-hmm. and and at least two of the women at the table were saying, "Well, but it's you know that's okay because they're adults because these aren't college kids, right? These are post college women in their twenties and thirties and." And I was just floored. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't comprehend that they were defending that behavior because it's not, it's not a clean, clear relationship. He had power over them. He's a professor at, at their school, and mm-hmm. um, you know, even if you're talking about the free love movement, and we have an open marriage. That's not the issue, right? The issue is. Is it possible for those young women to have a healthy interaction with him as an authority figure and have, you know, sexual intimacy with him and have it be clean and clear? It's just not. No, it is not. And so that's the, the idea that if you have a position of authority or power, and you are not functioning, you know, from a very solid space of my morals, my ethics, my values, including what is best for the people that I supervise or that I have any kind of authority over, then your boundaries can get blurred very quickly and very disruptive interactions can happen that are very unhealthy. Totally true. I wish we had known more about that back then. I had a professor I was involved with. You know, I thought I was a consenting adult. I didn't even know enough to know that I wasn't. Right. Well, and you wouldn't back. even know enough. Uh, you wouldn't even know enough to question and understand the power dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I did not. Right. And that other person may or may not have known and understood them, but they're still there. I mean, you know, I don't right. need to really understand and be able to quote you the uh, equations that can help you measure the laws of gravity, but I still feel it. Right. Yeah. <gasps> well, I wanted to so make that... one small Go ahead. You gave me an to speak to my singer, my lead singer in this piece we're going to do this weekend. And I did it. We were standing, we were, she works at the refugee center and so do I, and we were in the kitchen at one point and I said, I have a confession to make. And she said, what? I said, I, and I hope I didn't blow this. I have no idea, but somehow I felt permission to be able to say something. I said, you know, you may feel a little awkward around me, and I wonder if it's me. I must say I have bad imposter syndrome with you. I feel embarrassed to be asking you to perform a piece of mine. It means you have to practice a lot. We're rehearsing a lot, and I'm afraid I'm imposing and... Uh, I just feel very awkward about the whole thing. And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, and I'm feeling terribly awkward because I really want to do a good job on this piece. 
And so we didn't talk much more. There was too much going on. But right after church, and that's why I missed part of the show yesterday, is we had another rehearsal scheduled, kind of a pinch hit rehearsal. And we worked for an hour, and it was totally different than any other rehearsals. I suddenly felt centered enough for what I wanted. I said, you know, you sort of gloss over this very important word, take your time, slow the tempo down to get all the words out without force. I will follow you. I'm your accompanist. You've got it down. Don't worry about the rhythms anymore. Seeing it as if you're telling a story, just telling like a conversation And she did it, and it was so, I thought I was in absolute heaven, how she was doing this piece. And I just thought this all happened because I could just say, I'm I'm rather weird, and here it is. And so if you feel weird, you're probably picking up on my, my weirdness. And she seemed to just run with it, and it was okay. So I wanted to thank you for... I felt as if you gave me the suggestion and permission to to be honest, even though I hadn't done enough work on it, to have an enlightened goal. Okay, but you had done plenty of work on it to just be honest, and that's wonderful. I'm thrilled for you that you were willing to take that chance and that you got the benefit. Did get the benefit. Yeah. Thanks. So. Congratulations, and I know that that will go swimmingly well. This is it Sunday that you're doing the performance. Yeah. Well, who knows? But I'm just loving this whole process so much. Being able to launch this piece. Uh. So. Well, and being honest about your anxiety about it will probably let you enjoy it even more. Yeah, already that's happening, yeah. Excellent. All right, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome and deserving. I appreciate, as always, the chat. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Team. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, January the 25th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. I'll wait till Michael gets dialed in because we did have some questions following yesterday's conversation. And so he was going to address them on today's show. So we'll wait till he gets on before we continue with that. In the meantime, I will let you know I've got a lot of links in yesterday's notes. Um, I was able to get... Um, I was looking really closely here uh, to see what all. All right, we have the new current seven-step short worksheet. It's the one that Michael used in the workshop on Sunday in Johnson City. And it's a little compressed. It's the same seven-step, except he took out a lot of the 
um, detailed information, and so that is online. And the easiest way to get to it is yesterday's notes, or you can click on the worksheet button on the front page. We also have an article that Michael wrote, a new section on alcohol, as well as the section that we put up a day or two ago on marijuana. There is um, now the uh, link for the podcast that we did with TAO Living Podcast, Dr. Lou Corletto, the other day, and that's a little over an hour long. It's called The Healing Power of Forgiveness, and that is now on our YouTube channel. The link to it is also in yesterday's notes, or in today's notes. And so several new things popping up, and we appreciate you going out there and listening. We've got over a 1,000 uh, subscribers now on YouTube. I just need time now to sit down and send in an application and, and do a few things. I've been working with India the last couple of days, getting uh, the, the the apps are working fine now. However, I'm trying to get them to get the online worksheets to automatically fill in the way that the app does. It used to do that, and I'm not sure what happened, whether it was an update to something on the WordPress site or what, but anyway, they quit working, so I've got them working on that. So I have to get up early and get started with India because they're 11 and a half hours ahead of us. So when I'm getting up in the morning, they're getting ready to go to bed at night. So it's challenging. We both have to uh, give a little. So I'm working with them to try to get that straightened out. Give me a couple more days on that. And I appreciate your help um, in holding the space because uh, one of his team members that he has me working with right now doesn't quite come across with good English, so I'm not real sure what he's saying to me, so I'm sure he's not real sure what I'm saying to him either. So we'll work through that, but uh, we are getting that fixed. And Michael's with us now. I just told him that they can access the podcast that you did with Dr. Lou. We still don't have the information from the workshop that we did on Sunday, but we will get that. Oh, I also got the link to the book club. Uh, we weren't able to be part of it on January the 12th, but they went ahead as a group and did a reality worksheet. So that is now out there for you to watch if you'd like. And Michael, we had a bunch of questions that popped up from your conversation around MCT oil powder yesterday. Cool. Well, then let's go for it. Okay. Well, so thank you um, for... Go ahead. Go ahead, sweetie. Okay. Well, thank uh, you for your Selena. question, Selena. Yeah, for sure. First thing was, uh, could you comment about the MCT oil and how it works with hypoglycemia? And she gave some information about <laughs> medical research suggesting that the liver takes the sugar out of the blood so fast that no sugar gets to the body cells, and the body eventually experiences the same symptoms as diabetes too. So I guess we start with that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've got it open, so I'll just kind of go through it, at least uh, what I have knowledge of. And as far as will the MCT oil work with hypoglycemia, you know, hyperglycemia is high, hypo is low. And I, I do not know, but logically, because the body can use MCT oil without insulin, it can use it as a fuel. It's an easy fuel to burn where sugar tends to be, sugar once it's distilled out of food or the destructive types of sugar where there is no food, there's just the pure uh, sucrose, dextrose, you know, 
the worst of all of them is uh, high fructose corn syrup for the liver especially. For me, it would be logical that if the body is hypo, doesn't have enough sugar, then the MCT oil is going to be available as an easy fuel to burn. So that would be my thought in that regard. So um, the degeneration associated is, I think, because of a lack of fuel. So if you're getting fuel into the cell, then it's going to tend to operate. And then you uh, ask the question, in light of Dr. Adamo's blood research type, and I'm not familiar with his work, so I just don't have any um, any answer to that, except once again, the MCT oil is an easy fuel to burn. It's it's very little stress on the body. So, And eight blood types are magnesium-driven rather than calcium-driven. Again, I'm not familiar with his research. So, And then you go on to say, actually, while other blood types risk calcium deficiency, Type Bs risk magnesium deficiency. Magnesium is a catalyst for the metabolic machinery in B types, B blood types. And again, not something I'm particularly familiar with, but I would think that whatever the blood type, my, my take, my observation over the years has been that if people stop eating foods that are stripped of nutrients, stripped of things like calcium and nutrition and uh, and uh, magnesium, then the body's going to have all that it needs. There isn't going to be a deficiency risk. That would be my take. However, if we're eating uh, a, a balance, an imbalanced diet, let's say for someone who's a sugar addict, taking pure sucrose into the system, while that's the fuel that runs the cell, what happens when somebody takes pure sucrose in is it jumps into the bloodstream, fills, floods the bloodstream with sugar, and now we're in trouble because there's too much. And so the body hypes out insulin, you know, pancreas shoots out insulin and says, we've got to get rid of all this sugar. And by doing so, it then hits a drop. It drop The market drops out. There's no sugar. And so somebody's like, oh, I need sugar. So, you know, go get a, a soft drink. Go get something filled with phosphoric acid which drives oxygen out of the cell and is a tragedy for the body. So if somebody is doing that kind of dietary regimen, I would say there's going to be problems. And so if one tends to move toward whole foods, which I know you do, and eats food that actually has the nutrients in them and begins to look at, you know, if, they, if we've ever eaten a sad diet, and I have, sadly, when I was a kid, you know, my parents didn't seem to know any better and, you know, I mean, one of my favorite drinks was a cherry Coke. I mean, I think about that now, and you couldn't force that in my mouth today, but there was a time where I thought that was, you know, well, this is what we do. This is what we kids do. We go to the soda fountain and get cherry Cokes. Insane. And until I really engaged in this work, I really didn't have much of an idea of nutrition. Uh, one of the things I used to love to do was go to the mall and uh, and get... Uh, Cowpus. That's what they, you know, they call it ice cream, but, you know, every state has its own rules for how much cowpus is allowed in milk and, and ice cream. And, of course, if you've got, you know, calcium is just, or pardon me, milk is just loaded with calcium, cow's milk. I mean, there's so much calcium, it's unbelievable. But let's use an example. Let's imagine I'm building a house and I'm using eight by four bricks to build my house. And the house is, you know, about 80% complete, and I'm out of town, 
and you call me and say, Michael, I just got a whole load of bricks left over from a project I was doing, so I'm going to come put them in your house while you're gone, and you'll be able to finish your house with it. And you bring me 12 by 12 bricks. So now I've got a load of bricks that are of no use to me whatsoever, can't put them anywhere because I'm using 8-inch bricks, and now I have to get rid of them. The calcium in a, a cow's milk is absolutely fabulous. If you're going to raise a body from conception to, you know, 1,000 pounds or more, up to 2,000 pounds within a year or two, I mean, that calcium is just awesome. Those bones are going to grow, and they're going to be healthy. And But if you can't put them, if, if you have a, a calcium molecule that won't go into a human bone, it's not much use. It just, you know, builds up, builds up. They call builds up, build up of that sort of thing, calcium and arterial sclerosis. And, you know, the body has to find a way to deal with those things. And so there, if I remember correctly, and it's been years since I've been engaged, there are something like 32 different isotopes of calcium. Maybe some have been discovered since I was engaged in that understanding. And only one or two of them go into the human body. And it just happens to be the kind of calcium that's in things like leafy vegetables, spinach, food, actual human food. And so if, if one's eating a, a whole diet and then they properly chew it, you know, a lot of people, you know, a nice big gulp. You know, let's take a quart of water with this meal and, man, we don't have to work and chew and take time. We can just take a bite and slurp it down with a Slurpee. Well, first of all, you've got ice-cold water. Digestion occurs. Enzymes are active only within a very narrow temperature range. So somebody who slurps it down with a Slurpee just froze out the stomach and stopped digestion. And digestive secretions are excreted according to the way that the food is chewed. Food is tagged with a chemical called tylen, tells the body what to do with it. But if it's not chewed to liquid, then the body can't break it down anyway. So now we've got diluted digestive enzymes because of a big gulp. We've got no chewing because one took a big gulp. We've got a frozen out stomach or digestive process because the the big gulp was icy cold. And people will wonder why, gee, things aren't working in the structure. So all of those things come into it. And then, of course, proper elimination is an important part of the process. The body has to move to eliminate. And there has to be a sufficient amount of water, but not with meals. So all of those factors have to come, in, come into play. And my take would be if those things are all fulfilled and someone's eating a reasonable organic diet, properly chewed, properly swallowed, properly digested, and properly eliminated, then deficiencies aren't going to be a problem. One of the things that, for me, has become very apparent. I was just listening. I was telling you yesterday about listening to a physician who was talking about the uh, a medical doctor who was talking about the five most important foods to eat, one of them being blessedly chocolate <laughs> and uh, uh, cacao, not not the chocolate bars that come from slave countries that are sold by, you know, uh, mega corporate American corporations who don't care that they're buying chocolate from slavers and uh, and destroying kids' lives. Not that, but actual cacao, fair trade, you know, properly produced and properly processed. But uh, 
when when he spoke about his uh, medical education, he said I, he was a healer before he went to medical school. He said, I learned nothing about healing in medical school. And now and his name's Dr. Wheel. Uh, you can look up his, he's got a really good uh, interview that he does on inflammation, Wheel, W-E-I-L, on inflammation. Just listen to that the other day, and it's excellent. So when we take care of ourselves in an, a, a way that's natural to the system, then the system thrives. And I think that's what's required. And then, of course, if we don't disturb the functions of the system by putting in mind energy based in hostility or fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, trauma, hatred, vengeance, gossip, slander, if we engage in those energies, then we've got a whole different level of interference with the proper metabolism of those foods, of those nutrients. And once again, one goes into risk of all kinds of of challenges because we're not doing what the system needs. So that would kind of be my uh, my input on uh, on that, just from my perspective. Uh, so let's see what else is here. Since you're so efficient in assimilating calcium, you risk creating an imbalance between levels of calcium and magnesium. Yeah. Um, what I would suggest is that you do more study of the cause of health than the cause of disease. There's a lot of um, information here about how this is going to go wrong and that's going to go wrong. And there's, you know, there's a, an interesting thing they call the second year syndrome that they've named. I mean, it's so prevalent. They've named it the second year syndrome. And that is that physicians or psychologists or chiropractors or whatever who are studying abnormal states disease tend to produce those diseases by the second year of studying because we're energetic beings and the study of disease tends to produce disease I think the study of health is far more important and uh, so that that might be a, a, a place to uh, to look more in the arena of health and the the MTC to be already you mentioned it being better tasting yeah it's like a it's kind of like a powdered creamer really it's quite tasty and so they're my thoughts and uh, if you have any questions then Celinda push one and let's talk about it if that made sense if there's anything that I can help refine from what knowledge I have and and uh, we'll be glad to do it so if you're out there Miss Celinda are there any other thoughts her hand is up and I've turned on the well mic. great let's say hello hey young lady welcome hello Hello, and how are you? Um, the only question I have rockin'. is... Uh, rocking. Okay, we're rocking over here, too. Um, sometimes with our little gray skies, it's kind of hard to remember to keep the uh, lips faced up, <laughs> but we're doing a good job. Um, I wanted to ask you one question. Uh, triggered by one of the last things you said, it would be better to study health rather than disease, and that really resonated for me. Do you have any links or any? Um, because I've steeped, I've been steeped in nutrition, I've been steeped in organic foods, I've been in steeped in all the things that uh, relate to the issues I have in my body, and. Um, 
I, it's, I think you're right. Um, Larry happened to say, you're just a walking bag of problems, aren't you? That's what he said last night. And what you said really went bingo. And I thought, okay, now it's time to change my focus uh, about what's wrong with me to what's right with me and start looking at these areas that I have not practiced well and then asking you if you have any links or any places where I can start looking at this from that perspective rather than let's let's fix this problem perspective. Of course, you've been working with us for some time, so you've already started. You're moving in that direction. If you look at the newsletters, I think in the last couple of newsletters, Jeannie has put the article in called Healing from the Ground Up, where the focus is more in the direction of what comes out of the ground, what, what that, that health starts in the soil. And I know you do a lot of organic gardening, so that's a great place to start. We might want to look at that and go through the links on that. I've got quite a few, and they might be helpful. And then I think on one of the other newsletters, she put in the article on the uh, the course in self-healing. And there are many links in there, and I think if you start with those, that will open a, a whole other space for your objective of becoming outrageously healthy on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, every level. I think I like outrageously. Sounds good. It's very similar to rocking. I'll join you in it. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for giving me that perspective because I have been vacillating and looking at my bookshelf with all of these how-to books and thinking, I think there's got to be a simpler way. You know, my 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 um, one of my mantras is simple, <laughs> and uh, keep it simple, sweetie is what I call it. And then um, I, I I just really gravitate to simple. So thank you very much. I shall start pursuing those. And thank you cool. for the abbreviated worksheet. So it's all good. Cool. I liked Bob's Keep It Simple Sovereign yesterday. That was pretty cool. And, yeah, uh, I so didn't quite catch we'll that one, Sovereign. How did he define Sovereign? I couldn't quite keep up with what he was saying on that one. I, I'm not sure what his definition was, but I thought rather than Keep It Simple Stupid, which is kind of the culture's one, Keep It Simple. I've done that one for a long time with Smarty, but I like I like the one of Sovereign. And, uh, yeah, I like sweetie because that's a hard one. Yeah, they'll all work, huh? Sovereign sounds like the Christ mind to me. I just looked up the in, definition uh, for sovereign, and it says possessing supreme or ultimate power, the theory of being sovereign, supreme ruler. Um, so not sure. I'd have to go back and re-listen. One possessing or holding the possession of a sovereign power. Sounds like like Rahma. Cool. uh, And and then you might, if you're ready to do it, uh, plan on attending either the uh, work work weeks or the intensive at Heartland where we'll be doing the fresh and raw. During, during the uh, work weeks, we do cooked food, but during the intensive, we'll do fresh and raw, which gets people in there in the kitchen with their hands on fresh and raw food, how to put it together and the recipes and all of that sort of thing. So that might be a, a next step if that's appropriate as well. 
Well, actually, Larry and I are checking out our options for the coming year. And uh, not that we're unhappy here. It's just that we, uh, uh, Larry can be easily bored. He is a, a doer. And so we were looking at your um, four, is it a four-month intensive, uh, work intensive? Or how long is it for? 16 days. The work intensive well, the, the, itself? Well, the work, the work week, the work week, or it's the actually work. going to be 16 days or so. But we have had programs in the past, and it's something that's kind of flexible uh, for doing a longer program as well. So that's something we could talk about, although we don't have a very full season at Heartland this year. So, But, you know, who knows what the possibilities are. Right, right. And since a person would be volunteering, would there be um, um, workshop cost with that work program, or is it uh, exchange labor exchange for services for um, board and room, basically? It's a work exchange. We have a work exchange type program. Right, right. Good. We'll talk about and, that. And and it's something privately. that Yeah, it's something we'd have to talk about. You know, in the past when we were operating full summers before COVID and such, we had a system set up. And of course COVID changed everything. We haven't opened in three years and I'm not sure what it's all gonna look like at this point either. Okay. But uh, but that I'm open to good. creating a conversation. Cool. Good. Well, who knows what kind of co creativity can come out of the collective mind. There you go. <laughs> Let's take that ball and run with it. <laughs> All right. Well, the whole vision for Heartland is to create a platform from which we can deliver, particularly first century Aramaic forgiveness to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So that would be the first thing to uh, to think about: is that in right. in alignment with your purpose? And if so, then you know, create a conversation, see where it goes. Yeah, and we can continue this offline um, because we might have uh, uh, things we're batting uh, back and forth. Uh, so whatever works best for you is is fine with us. We're just exploring. Don't know where uh, we're led to next. So there's a there's a cute song out there that's the melody line of it is I'm not lost I'm just exploring <laughs> so but who oh, knows wow. maybe it will Let's be an eternal see. work program oh, with Heartland who knows time? oh yeah eternal okay, eternal all right oh, yeah eternal that sounds good I'll take that and run with it um so when anyway. I first when I first set Heartland up when I was looking for a place to locate it actually we started looking outside of the country and uh, and then by accident went to visit the Ozarks and it was like this is as close as you can get to being out of the country without being out of the country. It's pretty isolated. You know, Ozark County's yeah. uh, one of the largest counties in the country, and they're only about well, let's see. Back then there were 5,500 people. I don't know how many there are now, but probably more, but not a, a significant number. And I specifically chose that area because it was pretty much equidistant from five major cities, Kansas City, St. Louis, Memphis, Little Rock, Arkansas, and 
where is it in Oklahoma? Oklahoma. No, it's a little farther from Oklahoma City. But anyway, because it was in that population center, and the idea was to create a space where people would come do their work and be able to really go in depth in their work without it having to be a big money project for them. Most people just don't have the money to do that sort of thing. So it could be done right. on some sort of a minimal, minimal financial exchange, work exchange, and then have right. people go out from there and bring the teaching to those population centers. And so that was the original vision, and, uh, you know, we'll see what, what, what occurs. It, it, okay. it hasn't happened. People have, have gone there, and you've gone out to all parts of the world uh, to teach it, and we're in nine languages now. So who, who knows what, what comes next, what, how purposes align and work, and, uh, and who wants to join the vision? Is one of the languages Japanese by chance? Not yet, no. Mandarin is underway, but Japanese, no. Let's see, we've got Dutch, Swedish, Farsi, Spanish, German. Uh, let's see, Spanish, German. What else is there, Jean? I was just opening up the website because I couldn't remember it. Dutch, Dutch, English, Farsi, French, German, Russian, Spanish, Swedish, and Thai. And then it's uh, being uh, translated into Mandarin Chinese. Now, not all of those is it's a complete book. Um, Like in French, it's only Chapter 24 and the worksheet. Um, In Russian, it's... um, for some reason, it's missing one chapter right in the middle of it, and it doesn't have 24 yet. And uh, Swedish, we just got on there. It had only been in the hardback book, so it's just recently gone onto the website. And then in Thai, we only have the worksheets and then an article on Rockman Cuba. So there's still a lot of work going on, but we do have those nine languages. Cool beans. All right. And you were in the intensive with Pipia, who's working on, uh, if I remember correctly, who's working on the Thai translation. So, you know, it's moving in the direction as we can. Yeah. And uh, I love the vision statement, your mission statement for Heartland. I think it sounds pretty in line with the harmony of life, in harmony with life. Uh, vision, so we'll see how it unfolds for all of us. It's just things are happening Sweet. all over the world. Yeah, there is risings up all over the world. Uh, I'll uh, talk to you later, and uh, thank you for taking all right, the blessings. time. Bye-bye now. Honored and delighted. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. And I'm not sure that he's put his hand back up, but I believe he has. Uh, area code 336, Mr. Terry Bowling. Hey, Jeannie, how you doing? Hey, welcome. I am good. Doing well. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was on, I got on the call earlier with Dr. Kim and um, had a little brief dialogue with him for express my appreciation and gratitude to him and uh, chatted for a minute, but then I had to, I had a call that I had to take, and I jumped off, and I'm sorry about that. But I kept you guys on the on the other line, so I just reconnected there, and I, I just got back on about two minutes ago. Perfect. So I'm here. 
Yeah. So, Terry, how do you be? Terry has been to Heartland. He spent two years there. Back, uh, let's see, how long ago did you head to Asheville? About maybe 2000, eight years ago? 2009 and, 2000, yeah, 2009 and 2010 is when I was out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And yep, Terry's planning on 10. joining us for work week to help right. bring the place up to the next level of function. Exactly. Exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Here's a contractor in Asheville. I moved over to the middle part of the state, back toward uh, the old home place around Greensboro, but I was in Asheville for about nine years, yeah. Contractor there and has uh, put roofs on buildings at Heartland and built new sections on buildings and done all kinds of things to... uh, to bring it up to a, a new level of function, and so we look forward to having him back. One of the, the stories, Terry, that most sticks in my mind is the uh, when you completed your two years and you were on your way to Asheville, you called into the radio show and shared what happened when you got to the hotel. Do you remember what happened that day? Oh, do I ever. Uh, I woke up, uh, and I was uh, in that... Uh, uh, awareness and, and presence of love, and there was no fear or, or, or hostility for the first time in my life. I can remember waking up without some form of uh, darkness, a uh, little shadow in the background. It was truly amazing. Power to, powerful to hear your voice in that uh, experience yeah. after the work you've done the last couple the couple of years previous at Heartland and coming to that place of uh, of full body presence of love is a pretty amazing experience, isn't it? Oh, it's it's just beyond beyond explanation and I can remember exactly where I was standing, what that that room looked like, the bathroom, the lights, uh, everything when I was talking to you about that. I mean it's just, just like I, I stepped out of that room a few minutes ago. So it was uh, uh, definitely uh, a full-blown, you know, awareness experience, I would say, um, of that. And it was uh, was pretty juicy. (laughs) It was good. And then the trick is to hold on to it, right? Well, yeah, I don't know about that. If if that's possible, buddy, we're going to keep trying. But there just seems to be all this... uh, lineage and stuff, you know? I think you touch on that here and there that, holy cow, how far back does this genetic stuff go? Well, somebody calculated out that in 30 generations there are something like 2 trillion people. <laughs> so, yeah. so that, you know, we might, might have a little work. stuff to work out. <laughs> it might, might take a little while, yeah. Four yeah. generations is uh-huh. 31 lives, so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, the work goes you know on. Dr. Tim, you know, you know what Dr. Tim's memory was. Uh, he said, "What did he? How did he put it?" I should have wrote it down. My, uh, oh, I, I wonder if it, was that show recorded. I'd like to hear that little blurb he said. And uh, he was talking about my my uh, stature as a our Heartland person that had contributed a lot over the years. But his, his memory is that floor. He just. Uh, it says all the heartland floor that went in out there with a the big heart in it. And that was a, 
quite a project. <laughs> it was a lot. That was pretty awesome. That. <laughs> and uh, Ed Magda, we was just on. Uh, he came in on the Tim show too for a minute. Magda was of course in on that, and Chuck and David and uh, um, what was her little lawyer guy's uh, his name the, with the black hair? Uh, Jerry. Jerry. Uh, yeah, Jerry. 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 Yeah, Jerry I, I saw his picture where he was in a suit and kind of had it cleaned up a little bit. I hadn't talked to him. But uh, Jerry was in, the, in on that. And uh, the girls from uh, that the, had the Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern descendancy. Uh, the two ladies from, couple, from uh, yeah, couple, they were there. Irania. White yep. dog. Yeah, Irania, yeah. It was the crew. Mesa, Arizona. Uh, yeah, uh, that's where Jerry is. No, Mesa was one of the girls that you're speaking of. Oh, Mesa, Mesa, um, right, right. Okay, now I remember. And yeah. Naisha. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, that was that was yeah. amazing to come back from being on the road mm-hmm. that you know to do the summer season uh-huh. and to see that floor and the floor that you had put into our house with that oak, that local oak garden. Yeah. That's pretty amazing return. That was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It might, that oak floor probably needs a little bit of attention. Oh, that stuff is a living, you know, moving, breathing. We might have to touch that up and put you another coat or two of uh, finish on that while we're out there. You need to take a look at that. It's been a while. Yeah, it has the boards have kind of beveled a little bit in the center. You'll, yeah, you'll have a cup here and there that we can straighten out and put a new coat. A new, I'd like to put some finish oil on that and uh, give it another 20 or 30 years of life uh, for you. you know, that'd be pretty cool. Yep, that was um, pretty amazing. Pretty so amazing couple of summers. I, I'm a real um, visual kind of guy, right? And I like I do the art stuff too a little bit of that mixed in with my construction and building. So I really like your graphics, and I've never asked who did those for you. And I don't know if it's a compilation of different people over time, but they have like a little bit of a similar theme, which I appreciate. And uh, the one with the the PowerPoint that's beautiful. And uh, uh, I want it made me. I was looking back at it yesterday, and I thought, wow, I want to have these all printed out on poster size flashcards, you know, like laminated poster size flashcards. That would be great to have that for a, a teaching tool, you know. And uh, and then I print. I right. love the. I love that that mind. I talked to you a little bit about the mind diagram, and uh, and then I jumped over and printed off the um, the big lie. You know, I see with your eyes that one there. You know what I'm talking about, right? I think that's one of the pieces off of it. That might be one of the cards in the PowerPoint. I'm not sure where I got it. But it says there, it, again, it talks about Rachma and Kuba. And I wanted to bring that up as a little conversation. And I just heard you say there was an article on Rachma and Kuba. I would like to know if I could read that or how to get a link to that or if you could send me a copy of it. I think that would be fascinating. Because then my curiosity got up because I, I just never really questioned it. They were just filters. Okay, okay, the other filters, I get it. They get us to the level. And there was so much going on with all the other 
pieces and aspects of the work and all, but I never kind of focused in on those two words that much. You know, and I look at the kutcha, I love that word. And I just like the way it sounds on my tongue and the way it feels and all, you know. And uh, and I opened up a little, I was calling it yesterday, but I actually had the time wrong. I was in the wrong time zone right. or something. I could step I stepped over into another universe for a minute, and you helped me get back. I appreciate that. So, so we could, you invited me to call back in, and you're going to give me the straight scoop on the old Rachma and Cuba. Well, one of the other fun memories that you bring up for me, Terry, from your time at Heartland. Oh, was, oh yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? Where <laughs> we were doing laws of living. <laughs> And laws of living is done in the Socratic method of asking questions. And the answer to the question that Terry volunteered to answer was Rachma, and he just was not getting there. So so I stepped outside and picked up a rock and brought it in. Oh, Rachma, that's it. (laughs) That was hilarious. That was hilarious. Oh, my gosh. That was so good. You come running over that rock and I held out your hand. Rock, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, was, that was a great moment. Yeah. It was. It was awesome, everybody. Thanks for bringing that memory huh. back up. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, so Rockman and Cuba are two words that have no equivalent in the English language, as is Ruka de Kutcha, the other word that you mentioned. And, well, it's interesting. When we connected with a community out in California that were Native American speakers, and we had just really started to understand and discover what it meant through laws of living, when Dan and I were out in California, Dan McGoogled, and there was, there's a community out there that speaks Aramaic, and we asked them about it. We had come to understand its meaning, at least on one level, and asked them, and what they said was that the meaning of the word had been lost to antiquity. They just didn't know, but what their tradition held to was that it was the most precious jewel that you could possess. And the reason, I think, why they saw it as the most precious jewel is because it is the word that is the core of the answer that Yeshua gives when the, the disciples, when you know people in his audience are asking, they're saying, what's the most important law and law in Aramaic not meaning rule of a superior as the Greek gods and the Greek politicians and the American politicians would tell you. It does not mean what's the the most important rule of a superior, some superior that stands over you with a, a gun or a hellfire and says, you know, if you don't answer right, you're going to hell. But rather, what's most important in the way things work? If you want to be human, what's most important? How does it work? What's the key? And he doesn't say, love God, love neighbor as yourself. He says, have rachma when you think of neighbor, when you think of the creator. 
And by so doing, you maintain self. You get to keep your human life, which most people give up to hostility and fear. So what it turns out is that it's a filter slash gateway in the frontal lobes of the brain that one is the entry point for human life into the human form, according to the Aramaic understanding. And two, that's that's the gateway aspect of it. And two, it is a filter. You know, if you... uh, if you, let's say, live in a, a building that's got a lot of glass and there's a southern exposure, and boy, in the morning the sun comes in and it's so hot because all that, those heat waves get through the glass and heat the room up, mm-hmm. what do you do? You put a filter on. And when you put the filter on, I mean, you can still see out the window, light still comes in, but the filter stops the waves that generate heat. So that's the activity of the filter. Well, as a filter in the frontal lobes of the brain, where intentions are stored, there are three different qualities of intentions. There are negative intentions, there are destructive intentions, and their intentions are key to love. And only one of those filters can be active at a time. One of them is hostility, which is key to destructive intentions. One of them is fear, which is key to negative intentions. The other one is Rachma, which is key to loving intentions. So when Rachma is active, first order of business, the starting point for behavior and perception are our intentions. So he's saying if you keep your intentions on track by keeping Rachma active, then all of your intentions will be keyed to love. And that's important not because intentions have any power. You might remember the the ancient saying that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People can have all kinds of good intentions, but if they don't turn those intentions into goals, intentions can't drive behavior. Dan McDougall's favorite saying about intentions was, an intention can no more cause a behavior than a shadow can carry a stone. Looks like, I mean, there are people out there writing books about the power of intention, like it's got some power. And it doesn't. But it's important because it's the raw material of our. Sure. Yeah, there are people out there who. who, Shadow of the stone? No. uh, An intention can no more cause a behavior than a shadow can carry a stone. Okay. You know, it looks like, gee, a shadow's physical, real. Why can't it pick up the stone? Well, it's, it's uh-huh. power is illusory. The power of intention is illusory as well. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Thank you. Okay. So the thing that drives behavior, the thing that drives perception is our goals. And intentions are nothing more than the raw material of goals. That's why they're important, you know. I mean, you being a a contractor, I'm sure, especially if you're going to build a house for yourself, you're going to get the highest quality materials you possibly can before you put the first shovel in the ground so that you've got something that lasts as long as possible. Well, RACMA is the way that you make sure you've got the highest quality raw materials for your goals. 
Now you've got materials. You select from your intentions what your goal is going to be, and that goal is what drives perception. Now, the, so there's a matching filter over perception to that filter rachma over goals, and that matching filter is called in Aramaic kuba. So the same way that kuba is rachma is the filter over intentions that excludes hostility, or pardon me, negative and destructive intentions. In the same way, kuba over perception prohibits the mind from using irritating and threatening data from the perceptual mind to build our perceptual constructs. So it's the protector. It is the filter that excludes destructive or irritating content. You know, if, um, if one's looking at an object of attention and hostility is the active filter set over perception, then whatever they look at, they're going to be irritated about it. So, you know, how does the the six foot six, two hundred eighty pound father who who has a new baby and cherishes that baby beyond all belief end up getting charged for shaking the baby to death? What happened? Looking at this little child, if hostility is the active filter, the only quality of data that the mind can use to build the perceptions that are going to cause his behavior, if hostility is the active filter, the only perceptions he can get are those that are irritating. Through fear, he can only get those that are threatening. And so if hostility and fear are active over perception, then this six-foot-six guy who cherishes his child to no end might shake that baby to death if he looks at that baby through the hostility or fear filter because he's threatened or irritated. Rachma protects against that. It excludes data-based in threat and irritation and only allows perceptual content that's keyed to love to be used in building our perception. So it's how you protect your mind against insanity. And, you know, you might remember they said at one point, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Well, what does that mean? How does perfect love cast out fear? And it's interesting to note that they talk about fear kind of like a demon to be cast out. So perfect love in Aramaic is Rachma and Kuba. The filter over the frontal lobes of the brain, intentions. The filters over the back of the brain, perception, Kuba. When those two are set, the mind doesn't matter what it's looking at. It can look at the most terrible, destructive, horrible, rotten, evil, nasty you know, thing in the world, see anything but how to get to love with that. So it's a way of, uh, Rachman and Kuba are a way of maintaining your human life and inoculating the mind against hostility and fear, destructive outcomes. Does that make sense of your question? Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And, and I was taking notes on my... Uh, I printed out a large copy of the functional diagram of the human mind, and right next to it, I've got the big lie uh, diagram in following along with your dialogue and making my notes. It's, it's really beautiful. One of the things that uh, came up was, was like right there at the end, it said one is over the front and one is over the back. Is that an actual physical 
portion of the brain, or is that just a way of expressing that action, or what is it? Well, you know, there's, there was a, the first frontal lobotomy was done back, I forget what year it was, 100 years or so ago, when a man was working on a railroad, and he stepped on a, a pipe, and the pipe went up under his chin, and severed the frontal lobes of his brain. And they do frontal lobotomies on people in order to get rid of the unique intention set that they hold. Intent, the ability to, it's, it's the, the place where reason occurs, and it's, or, or pardon me, it's the place where what we would call reason, but actually as decisions are made, and when cut off, that part of the brain is gone. So it's it's physically located. Now, I don't know. I'm suspecting, and I've been doing some research on that, some things, but I, I, I don't know that anybody's actually physically located at that point. But, yes, from the Aramaic, it would be physically located in the front of the brain where intentions are stored, and then in the back of the brain is where the proven perception occurs. And so that would be where Kuba is. Gotcha. And everybody has probably heard of the frontal lobotomy at some point just from watching movies and stuff like that. So that's very familiar. And there's not much about that back area that comes to my mind. <clears throat> and what was another interesting thing, and I was kind of trying to study and get ready for this a little bit, as I Googled um, Cuba, and there's nothing on Google. And now, I don't know what that's. I don't think there's any other thing I can think of that you can put into Google and get nothing back on. I mean, that's, that's just something. But, and Rob, yeah, it would have been something, but there was nothing. And then um, with Rockmont, there was a couple little uh, things that uh, uh, pointed it back, you know, toward the Aramaic, but there was really no, nothing uh uh, I would have thought it would have at least uh, maybe picked up a word, you know, those, uh, 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 what do they call those programs, the logarithms or whatever it is, the algorithms that, uh, that Google has that it would have somehow picked up something even, you know, related to your work or something, but it didn't. So that's, that's uh, very interesting. And then it goes back to the uh, earlier part of your conversation about the, the lost language of that and that, uh, that tribe that you were speaking to. Uh, with uh, with McDougal and uh, getting that information that was passed on firsthand as opposed to in the World Wide Web. I'm surprised that uh, that Google didn't pick up the word Cuba from our website because it's on there. But I know you would think so. Maybe know. my maybe I got some kind of filter on mine or something. You ought to try try it as an experiment and see what comes up on your end. If, uh, if anything, yeah. I bet, but it I bet Jeannie already has. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I would have bet. Um, sorry, go ahead. Actually, there is a person called Rock Macuba who does websites. <laughs> That's the first thing that popped up on Facebook. But then it does come up. It's about the fourth link down, but it does come up. Why is this happening to me again? In Ty, Michael Rice, article on Rock Macuba. Oh. Uh-huh. do it that article in English. I'm not sure what you sent. That was to Amy Budica. Uh, She was at Heartland one year. Right. Way back, right? She took, yeah, so I'm not sure what article 
she translated, but um, if you can find it, I'll put it out there in English. Yeah. And maybe yeah, I can I'll put the link on to the, with the, where the um, filters of the mind, I'll put some links on that page that say Rock Moon Cuba, so maybe it'll find it. Yeah, and this time I did it again, and now some stuff came up a little bit. So once you start hitting something, I think it brings it to the attention of the of the uh, search engines. That's interesting. But still not. Well, thank you for bringing that whole topic up. Make sure that article is found and put online. Yeah. All right. Great. The poster. I'll be looking forward to reading that. Yeah, the poster is a uh, like a picture, so it wouldn't pick the language up, but we'll make sure that it gets linked so so people can find it. And one other thing, and uh, you can check it, but that first uh, uh, in the uh, uh, one link that I have, um, where I, it, I have a link with the functional diagram of the human mind, and then there's several worksheets. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that you sent to me. It's like a, a whole body of the work. But on that first one, for some reason, the um, verbiage, on the lower third of that diagram is just a little bit fuzzy. So we can see if that's just on my end or if it's, well, everything else is prints out beautifully. And I can read it and all, but it's just a little bit. It's almost like, you know how it accented goals or drivers for, it's got that little type of uh, thing you do to the letters to make them look different. Where they have like right. a little have to look at it. Yeah, it looks like it picked it up on those. And we'll check it out. Blocks there. Yeah, but it's still it's still it's beautiful. I love the diagrams, and I appreciate that um, conversation about the the Cuba and Rockland. I'm gonna continue to look into that and dig into it and do more worksheets. Keep asking questions. You know that's part of what what leads the whole process. And uh, of course, everybody's mind is structured to. Come up with a different question. So open open the space with all the questions you come up with. It's interesting. They asked Albert Einstein if you were given. I think they asked him if the if he was given one hour. If he was given a question that he had to answer with one hour, or he'd be killed. They asked him what he would do, and he said he'd be he would spend 55 minutes researching what questions to ask, and then solve the problem in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So there's the importance of questions. So thank you for those questions. Yeah. Makes it more fun too, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Well, I appreciate your inquiring mind. I appreciate the fact that you are there teaching the work to others, passing it on, making it available, and uh, you know, ultimately. Together we will make this available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So that's the idea. Awesome. And I deeply appreciate that, you know, every once in a while I may not hear from you a while, and and then all of a sudden I look in my phone and there's a $100 donation. So much appreciation for the years of support you've given us, Terry. Yeah. When you don't hear from me, I'm deep in my next layer of stuff. You can believe that. Next opportunity to learn forgiveness. I understand that one. Been there, done. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? 
or you, you, one gulp looking for that gulp of air. <laughs> That's old. Right. Old wine. Yep. How much yeah. do you want it? <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, any other thoughts for you at this moment? No, I'm pretty good. We about uh, used up your hour here, so I didn't, didn't want to dominate the rest of it. But uh, I'll be checking back in. But that was really good. And that's a lot for me to digest and absorb. And I'm sure I'll have some some more stuff to, for us to talk about. Cool. And, of course, you can, you know, when we're finished the show, you can go download the show and listen to it. Have it in your, in your computer or on your phone and uh, listen to it whenever you want. So. Awesome. Very cool, sir. Much appreciation. Say hello to your bride for us. All right, and keep me posted on the list of volunteers that are going to come. It's going to be a big group there. I've got a feeling we're going to have a lot of work to get done. Let's go for it. Awesome. Thank you, Terry. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye, Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. By the way, for anybody who was at Heartland in the early days, and you'll remember that in the teaching center there were two bathrooms, and then you came back to Heartland and those two bathrooms were gone, and out to the left of those bathrooms near the back door, there was another whole set with uh, six bathrooms in it, and that was all Terry and David's work. They were part of that, and Chuck and Magda and... I'm not even sure who else worked on that project, but it was pretty cool. And then the the gentleman it from was interesting, uh, UK, right? It was interesting that uh, we were going to put a new floor in, and uh, there was another gentleman. I'm not remembering his name right now. I know he was a motorcycle enthusiast who his dad sent to Heartland, and. Uh, he just happened to be a uh, uh, his his aside from his art, he worked with stone and concrete, and so they actually set up a concrete factory, and that's where Mesa Nayusha. And I'm not sure who else was involved in that exactly. What we were talking about earlier is they actually made uh, or they created a small factory and made concrete. Uh, or they I think they were maybe 16 or 18 by 18 tiles in a really nice blue, like an ocean blue, and then some of them in red. And so right in the center of the floor of Heartland, of the Heart Center, if you haven't been there, there's a floor with a heart that's about, uh, what is it, Jeannie, 12 feet wide by 10 feet high, something like that. Yeah, at least. Like really surprised when we got home to see that. It was pretty cool. So appreciation to everybody who's contributed to uh to making the work available in every way, shape, or form in terms of creating Heartland and creating that platform to take it out and then who've created material to share with us and pass on so that we can uh, get to critical mass and make it available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. By the way, we'll put out the thought, too, if you create anything along this work, if you're working with somebody and you happen to record it, we would love to have it to put in our archive. So we've got an archive permanently available. You know, you might work with just one person, but like these radio shows, far more people listen to the archives than listen to the show initially. Of course, we don't have a way to tell with the, the way it's broadcast just how many people are listening. But, uh, you know, if you create something, we'd love to have it in our archives so that, who knows, 
10 years, 10,000 years from now, it might impact somebody. We'll have a digital record. So any event, appreciate you all. Thanks for joining us. Have a blessed day. Be the best one yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye.